You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. If you haven't been with us the past few weeks or if you haven't been following us, we've been in a series called Covenant. I'm just calling it what it is. We're, we're talking about our covenant relationship with God. And our covenant is a huge part of our everyday walk. In fact, over the past several weeks, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about the Old Covenant or, or the, the, the Old Testament. We've talked about how we are in a new covenant. We've talked about the new covenant contrasts the old, but it is compared to the Abrahamic, which we just we started talking about last week, but we just barely touched on it. We're kind of very, the big blocks of the Abrahamic covenant last week. But today and over the next several weeks, we are going to start to break down uh, truly what it means to be in a blood covenant with someone, which is what we are uh, able to be a part of with God. In fact, we're going to look at specifically the angle that I feel like God wants us to look at is the, the, the nine steps to, to the traditional Hebrew blood covenant. And here's what's amazing. Though this traditional Hebrew blood covenant would be normally set up between two humans, God uses that foundation to speak Abraham's um, language, if you want to say it that way, where he can come into covenant. And what we, what we see is those nine steps, those nine parts to making this covenant, we see in the Abrahamic covenant, and we see also the reflection or the reminder of it in the New Testament as well. And so for us today, and so that's what's amazing, the old covenant, the, the covenant God made with, Mo, made with Moses has passed away, but the Abrahamic covenant, we still very much get to benefit from today. And as we start to look at some of these, these steps in this process, I believe it's going to bless you. And my prayer is that today you would walk out of here with some boldness and with some confidence in your covenant relationship with God. If anything, it is going to build your faith today. But I believe specifically our last point, it's going to help you find some freedom today. Does that sound okay? We're going to look at God's word today. Here's what we see in Galatians 3.14. It says this, that through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. We looked at several verses last week talking about how we have access. We get to be a part of this amazing covenant that God made with Abraham. And we're going to talk about a few specific things today in this nine-step process for the Hebrew blood covenant Three of those steps were exchanges. The two people would exchange certain things, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the exchanges. The first, or they, they wouldn't always do these nine steps in, in the exact same order, but the first one we're going to look at today is the exchanging of robes. They would exchange robes, robes with one another. And this is very much, again, this was a, a physical thing between two humans, but what we, what we see, and this is amazing, is we see this in Scripture for us spiritually. They would exchange robes. Um, and, and to a Hebrew, uh, traditionally, their robe or their coat represented the person themselves. If I gave you my robe, it is, hey, I'm giving you all of me. I'm giving you my robe. You're giving me your robe. And now we are one. We, and again, all of these steps point back to we are one now. We are together now. But it, the, specifically, the robe would say, this is mine. This is all of my person I am giving it to you for you to wear from this point moving forward. And whenever we see this, though, between Abraham and God, when we see this step, this part of the Hebrew blood covenant, the exchanging of robes, God begins to reveal the true meaning of righteousness. 
We see that word all the time, right? Righteousness. What does that mean? It means being right standing with God. God begins to reveal what does it mean for us to exchange robes because obviously God's not going to have some uh, physical heavenly robe that he plops down on Abraham. That's not how it's going to work. It's going to be something spiritual. And so here's what we're going to look at. Let's look at Genesis 17. And right here, this is where we see when Abram, this is before his name was changed to Abraham, which we're going to get to later. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am almighty God. I'm glad he's on our side. Almighty God. Uh, walk before me and be blameless. What does it mean to be righteous? Blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. God is beginning to reveal this idea of walking holy as he is holy. He says, if we're going to be close, if we're truly going to be one, I'm going to need you to be blameless. And this is why also when we see in this blood covenant that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. He's starting to introduce this idea. If we're going to be in relationship, righteousness is a part of it. I need you to be righteous. But again, as we talked last week, and if you missed the last couple messages, I would encourage you. We have a YouTube page. You can watch it, or we have a podcast as well. We're also on Spotify. You can look it up and listen to it. I promise you, it's a great foundation for where we're going in this. It'll bless you. But he's beginning to introduce this idea of righteousness, and he's saying, look, there's going to be an exchange. He says, I've done all the heavy lifting but I also need you to walk with me. I need you to walk in this righteousness that I am going to give you. So here's what happens. How does this translate to us, right? Okay, we see that Abraham was accounted, it was accounted to him as righteousness, but how does this translate to us? Well, whenever we come into covenant with our Heavenly Father, this new covenant that we're in, what happens is we come and we are clothed in sin and unrighteousness. Right? That's why we need a Savior. If I don't ever admit that I'm a sinner at some point in my life, I don't need a Savior, and so I can just be the Lord of my life. Well, that's not how it works. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. And so whenever I come to him, what happens? I have to realize I'm clothed in sin, spiritually clothed in sin, and unrighteousness. God comes to make this covenant with us in this new covenant, and he is clothed in holiness and in righteousness. And so here's what we get to do. We then get to exchange exchange robes with him and put on his righteousness. I get to exchange spiritual robes with him. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the exchange? I am righteous, you're not. I will become what you are so you can become what I am. We're going to swap and it's way better for us. <laughs> he says, that's how good I am. I'm giving you the better end of the deal. You're going to get my righteousness. He says, I'm a, so that you can be the righteousness of God. Look at Romans 13, 14. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We see this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ or put on Christ time and time and time again in the New Testament. And here's what we're, if we're not careful, if we don't understand covenant, we go through this and we read scripture and we think, oh, that's a good visual. But what does that mean? <laughs> put on Jesus, to put on Christ. We think it's just, a, oh, that's, that's this interesting way of phrasing things. That's how they phrased it whenever they wrote this thousands of years ago. No, this is Holy Spirit breathed scripture. God breathed this and people wrote this so that we would understand covenant verbiage all throughout scripture. 
And so that's what I need you to see today. That's what we have to see today, that when we read our Bible, covenant verbiage like this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a, oh, that's a cool way of saying that. No, that's reminding us of our covenant. He says, I've given you the robe of righteousness. Put it on. Putting on the robe of righteousness, though, is a daily decision. Just because in the covenant they would exchange doesn't mean the other one necessarily put it on right away. They had to choose when they were going to wear it. It's our job to wear it every day. How? Make no provision for the flesh. Every day when we get up, I have a choice. My flesh and my spirit are going to battle. Who will I allow to win today? What my flesh wants to do, the fleshly sinful things that my flesh wants to do that the devil can run with, or do I put my flesh in check and say, you know what, my spirit's going to win today. I'm going to choose to put on Christ the robe of righteousness today. I'm not going to walk in sin. I'm going to walk in the righteousness of Christ. That is what we are called to do, but i got to make that decision every day as soon as I get up, as soon as I get up. This is why in Isaiah 61.10, as he's talking about salvation, look at this, this covenant verbiage. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Not just a cool visual. That is covenant verbiage. And when I understand covenant, I understand what he's saying now. Yeah, I have access to freedom from sin through Christ. I can be free from it. It can no longer control my life. Doesn't mean I walk perfect. I'm going to stumble from time to time, but I no longer identify as a sinner. Why? Because I am putting on the robe of Christ, the robe of righteousness, which is now my identity. I can walk now in freedom. I'm not worried about not sinning. My eyes are on Jesus. I am wearing his robe of righteousness as I live my, as I live my life every single day. Let me make this even more clear. This covenant verbiage is all through Scripture. And there's a popular story in the book of Luke, chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. If you've been in church at all, you know this story. The story of the prodigal son. There's a father. He has two sons. One son goes rogue, right? He comes up to his dad and he says, hey, I want out. I want my inheritance. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm out of here. So his dad honors it. He says, here's your inheritance. Here's all your money. We'll see you later. The son then leaves, he goes and he blows it all, right? On sinful, worldly living. He blows it all. And as he's going, he, he goes and finally his money runs out. And of course, once his money runs out, his friends run out. And so finally he's like, I got I to gotta just feed myself. I got to make my a living a little bit. So he goes and he's feeding the pigs, which is a disgrace in of itself in this culture. And as he's feeding these pigs, he's there and he's in the pig pen and he's feeding them the slop and he sees the slop and he's so hungry within himself that he says even the slop of the pigs looks good. But he comes to his senses, thank God. He comes to his senses in the pig pen and he says, man, even my, even my dad's servants live better than this. At least my dad's servants have a place to sleep and they get food every day. Like they live way better than this. And he says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk to my dad and I'm not even worthy to be called his son, but I'm going to ask him if I can at least be a servant. And here's where we pick up in Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, 
In this day, for a father like that to run to his son was a disgrace. The fathers in this culture did not run. It was embarrassing to run. For him to run was a huge deal. But let's look. He ran. Man. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. He hugged him. And he kissed him. This guy is fresh out of the pig pen. But this is the heart of the father. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But look at the father's response in verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The finest robe in the house. And Jesus is sharing this story to reveal the heart of the Father for us, for you, and for me. Because when we, are, we were filthy and disgusting in our sin, when we took one step towards the Father, what did He do? He ran to us. He hugged us, He kissed us, and He said, welcome home. And we come with all of our excuses. Right? We come to church. I mean, I messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm far from God. I bring all the excuses to the table. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm just here to just try to get somewhat close to you. And what I love is the father in this story is he doesn't even let the son finish. (laughs) I'm not even worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even respond to it. What a foolish thing to say to me. Quick, bring the finest robe that we have. In the heavenly realms, what is the finest robe? The robe of Jesus. When we come home spiritually, we run, he runs to us, he embraces us, and he says, bring the finest robe in all of heaven, the robe of righteousness, which is Christ, and put it on my son, put it on my daughter. They've come home. And all of what do we see in the rest of the story? They celebrate. All of heaven goes crazy, and they celebrate the spiritual coming home of the lost. But it's all covenant. It's all covenant verbiage. Do you see it? Get the finest robe. Put it on him. I don't care how dirty, how nasty he is. Not get him washed up and then we'll put the fine robe on him because we don't want him to get the robe dirty. No, get the finest robe and put it on my son. And the challenge for us today is this don't wait till your life gets to the spiritual pig pen before you come to your senses. Because we want to get our life together. Let me get my act together. Let me get cleaned up. Then I'll go home. That's not the heart of our church because that's not the heart of Jesus and that's not the heart of the Father. Our prayer is, come on. You may be dirty. You may be sinful. It doesn't matter. The Father loves to see you come home. Your Father is waiting with, for you with the finest robe in all of heaven, the robe of Jesus and his righteousness. Man, we could stop right there, but let's continue on. Man, they exchanged robes. Number two is they did this. They exchanged belts. They would exchange belts. Are you doing okay? They would exchange belts. <clears throat> it's getting good here. Here we go. They would exchange belts. This would not just mean um, tools or things like that, but more specifically, the exchanging of belts meant protection. 
So basically, when we would exchange belts, I'm giving you my weapons. You're giving me your weapons, saying that your enemies are now my enemies. And basically, I'm also saying to you, which we see in the story of Abraham, is this, my, my family, my weapons, my warriors, my trained warriors that I have uh, are now with you. We have your back. We saw this in the life of Abraham as we go, as we read his, his, his story, we see that there were several times where he would go and he had highly trained servants, but these trained servants were warriors. It was for protection because he had a lot of stuff that needed to be protected. He had these trained warriors that he would go to battle with, and this is what he's saying. Anyone that was in covenant with Abraham, he said, look, I got all of this, and we're for you. If someone messes with you, you let us know, and we'll be there. This is the exchanging of belts. This is why in Genesis 12, at the very beginning of this blood covenant being made with God and Abraham, it says, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. We can read this and be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, thanks, God. God's got my back. But when we understand it's covenant talk, meaning, no, you don't understand. This is life and death. If someone blesses you, then we're friends. If someone curses you or comes at you, God says, I have your back. And one of the most perfect examples of this is the story of David and Goliath. Because David understood covenant when everyone else seemed to forget it. And David is a great example for us because we're living in a world where the capital C church has forgot about covenant. People don't talk about it. They don't reference it because if, if we would, it would change our perspective to every time the enemy showed up knocking at our front door, bringing an attack spiritually. We would show up with the confidence of David, not because look at how great we are. D David was a, a scrawny shepherd boy, but he showed up with some confidence because he understood covenant. And so here's what we see. We show up uh, for Samuel. Goliath is out, and he comes out 40 days in a row, and he curses the armies of Israel. Strike one, right? I'll bless those that bless you, curse him who curses you. What, so that's what, that's what God says in, in uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Let's look at it. First Samuel 17, 26. David shows up. He's dropping off the food for his brothers. He hears what's going on here, and here's David's response. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Who's this guy? We're going to talk about the, the circumcision part of the blood covenant next week and what that means for us. But David knew uncircumcised means he is not in covenant with our Heavenly Father. And by so, here's what he's saying. David identifies that Goliath has no legal rights to victory because he's outside of covenant. It's the same for us today. When the enemy comes spiritually he has no legal rights to victory. This is why we have to understand covenant because otherwise we just say, oh, that's how life is. This is what happens in our life and we just receive it. When God shows us time and time again, even in the New Testament, no, I've equipped you because we've been in covenant. I've exchanged belts with you, weapons with you. We've exchanged this so that you can walk in victory. And so let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 17, 45. It says this, then David, he said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. There he is. He's identifying again. Look, you've, you're uncircumcised. That's one strike against you. You defiled us. That means that's, that's two, already two against you. I'm guaranteed the victory. He says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give you into our hands. Can I tell you something? This, this chip on David's shoulder, this covenant chip on his shoulder, this is how we must approach attacks from the enemy. Because here's what the enemy will do. He will come out spiritually just like Goliath, and he will stand there from a long ways off, and he will curse you, and he will call you things, and he will say, you're, no, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. Another thing that Goliath did, we won't get into it necessarily, but I'm going to talk about it. He called, them, he called the army of Israel servants of the king, servants of Saul. He was saying, look, you know, he was not even identifying God. He said, you don't serve a God, you serve Saul, you serve a human. This is the same thing the enemy will do to us. God's not close to you. He's not near you. And he's going he's gonna to say all of this stuff from a long ways off, and he's going to run his mouth. But if I understand covenant, I know that he can run his mouth all day. But when I step onto the battlefield, I have a covenant relationship with the Heavenly Father, and I know that if he's cursing me, oh, he's already doomed. He's, he, as we talked last week, the enemy, the, the devil does not have blood, so he cannot touch the blood covenant. He is outside of this, and that's why he hates when churches talk about it, because if we understand the blood-bought covenant, we can understand that we have victory, and we understand the term fighting from victory rather than fighting for it. I'm not striving, trying to win. David showed up fighting from victory. You're, you're cursing us, number one. You're, you're uncircumcised, number two. You have no right to be here. And he walks up, and what does he say? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and I will take your head from you. Can I tell you, we need to have that kind of attitude when we pray and rebuke the devil. Amen? If not, we will lay down and we will take whatever he throws our way, and that is not what God's called us to do. He has said, I've equipped you to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to take that attack. That depression, you have no covenant authority, depression, to be in our household. I bind you in the name of Jesus, and today I'm going to cut off your head. You can get out of here and never return. I need to have that kind of confidence when I pray in the Spirit to rebuke attacks from the enemy. Where do we see this in the New Testament, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was David. That's a great story. Let's look at it. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. You know, in the past, I, before I've done a deep study on covenant, I just thought, yeah, we have some spiritual armor available to us. But do you see now the covenant verbiage? Put on the whole armor of God. Not just put on some spiritual armor. God says we've exchanged belts. We've exchanged weapons. My armor is your armor. And he says, put it on. We've exchanged it, but you have to put it on. I have to wake up every day and say, I am going to put on the armor of God. Today I'm going to walk equipped. And it's amazing that they would exchange belts because the belt in the armor of God is the belt of truth. And whenever they were writing about the, the, the armor of God, they were referring it and tying it all into the Roman soldier's armor. And the belt for the Roman soldier held every piece together. It was the centerpiece. Every piece would attach to it at some point. It was, it was the part that really locked in the breastplate, the, the sword. It had, it had, everything was touching it. And it's the same way for us. Truth of God's word is the only thing that can get me victory in my life. This book, there's a lot of other great books out there, but there's no other book that is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the only book. 
And if I will lean into this, if I will trust this, if I will speak this, if I will confess this over my life with some faith, knowing that I have covenant relationship with the God who wrote this, things will move, things will happen, and victories will take place in my life. How come we need to get off on that? Let's go. Uh, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What did David say? David said this. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. David already understood the covenant side of it is such a spiritual thing. David knew, yeah, there's swords and spears and all kinds of stuff out here, but guess what? The battle isn't won with those. Ephesians reiterates this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting this in the natural. Covenant is a supernatural spiritual thing, and if I would understand that I can go to battle in the spiritual realm, which is the more real realm. The spiritual realm created the natural. So where's the root of the issue? Right? I can pull fly, uh, weeds out of my flower bed all day, but if I don't get the root, it's going to keep coming back. That's what people do. They try to fix their marriage. They try to uh, fix a relationship. They try to find some freedom from something. And they try all these natural remedies. But it's Band-Aids. When the issue, issue that you're probably facing is spiritual cancer. I can't fight cancer with a Band-Aid. That's why I need this, because this goes to work in the spiritual, which is me pulling the root of that weed out of it so it won't ever come back in the name of Jesus. That's how it works. I've got to attack the root of the issue, which is the spiritual side. And that's why, again, if we see something twice like this um, through Scripture, God's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention. It's not in flesh and blood. It's not with sword and spear. Um, let's continue on. Ephesians 6, verse 13. He says, take up, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He already said that, right? Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. He must be trying to get our attention. What's he saying? We've exchanged belts, but are you putting on your armor every day? Do you even know what that means? I did a series on that last year about how, what is the armor of God? You can find it on our podcast. I go back and listen to it. I've got to put it on. I can have access to all of the good things of God's word, but I know too many Christians who have lived their entire life and they've accessed about 1% of what God has for them through covenant. Can I say God has more for you? And it's not hard. It's not a striving. I got to get to it. He's got more for you if I will just go to his word. If I will seek him first, I can understand the good things that God has for me. God is good. When we're in covenant, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood as David said, the victory is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Here's the temptation when it comes to spiritual armor, when it comes to spiritual battles. The temptation is if I'm not strong enough myself, meaning this, if I'm not close with God, I know my covenant authority, and I can know that I have the power of the Holy Spirit working with me. If I don't know that, here's what I will do. In the story of David and Goliath, David goes to King Saul, and King Saul says, hey, man, let me give you my armor to put on. Let me give you my armor to put on. Well, Saul's twice his size, and it doesn't fit David. David's like, I don't need this. David understood covenant. But here's what some people will do today in 2021 in the spiritual realm. 
Whenever life happens and whenever the enemy comes and he knocks on the door and he's trying to bring an attack and he's coming after your family, too many people, rather than walking in what God's given them, which is his armor, they will run to someone else and say, give me your armor or your faith to help me get through this. And there's nothing wrong with you need to surround yourself with faith-filled people. You need to surround yourself with people that will point you to God's word. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about too many times when life happens and we start a prayer chain. Hear me in this. I'm not against prayer chains. The prayer of agreement works. It's in God's word. But many times prayer chains are started from fear. My motivation to pray is fear. Rather than my motivation to pray is faith. And I understand the prayer of agreement, so I get people together to pray on my behalf. That's a different mindset. But if I don't know my covenant, if I don't walk in agreement with God's word, and if I'm not walking with him daily, when the enemy comes, I hit the panic button and I just start, "Uh, somebody give me your armor because I'm not prepared. And God said in Ephesians 6, you take up the armor of God. You be prepared. You have access to the spiritual armor. How amazing is our God? He said, you got it. We're in covenant. Not, yeah, I'm just in covenant with with everybody or whatever. He says, no, me and you. Covenant is relational. He says, I've given you my armor. And here's what's amazing is when you put on the armor of God every day, when you choose to put it on, all the enemy sees in the spiritual, it's spiritual armor, all the enemy sees in the spiritual realm is Jesus. You're clothed in his righteousness, it's his robe, and you're walking in God's armor. Do you understand now how afraid the enemy really should be from us than we are of him? Do you see the perspective change? But it's all covenant. If I understand my covenant, I can walk in confidence knowing that doesn't mean the enemy's never going to mess with me. It means I want him to know that if he does, he better be ready for a fight because I'm equipped. Let's go, somebody. That's the last point is this. We're going to exchange names. We're going to exchange names. If you hear anything today, I need you to hear this point. This is an important part of the of the covenant. Because our words are powerful. And what we say about ourselves affects the trajectory of our life. Let's break it down. In Genesis 17, starting in verse 4, God is making covenant with Abraham. and He says, as for me, this is God talking. He says, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. God's doing two things here. Number one, he's changing Abraham's name to confirm his, his covenant and to confirm his promise. I will give you descendants. It's an it's a action of faith to boost Abraham's faith. Speak this over yourself is what he's saying. This is you now. But this, not only, this name change not only added faith to Abraham, but it added honor to him. Because Abraham's new name had a letter from God's name, Jehovah, inserted into it. So God took a piece of his name, and he said, I'm going to split your name, and I'm going to put my name right in the middle. 
This means so much. We could spend weeks and hours talking about this name change. But here's what I need you to see, and this is what God needs you to see today. Abraham no longer had legal rights to the name Abram after this point. Can't go backwards. Can't go back. A few weeks ago, or a week ago, I guess, my wife Leslie and I closed on a house. We bought a house. We've been believing for a house for five years. We finally closed on it. Praise God. We closed on our house. You know, that morning, my full name is Daniel James DeBell. That morning when I got up, I couldn't just get up and be like, you know what? I really feel like Steve DeBell today. That just feels right. I don't know why. I just feel that. Man, I just feel that way today. And every day I go, I just go through my day. I just feel like Steve. I, feel, I don't know if there's anyone named Steve in here. I'm sorry. I'm using this as an example. Steve, I just feel like Steve today, you know? If I went to close the house and I signed my name, Steve DeBell, what are they going to do? <laughs> what are we doing here? That's not, you don't have legal rights to that name. That's not your name. You can't sign your name to that. That's not you. This is what God did for Abraham. This is what God does for you. When God changed Abraham's name, he was calling things that didn't exist into existence. That's why Romans 4 says this. Romans 4, 17, as is written, I have made you father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. So yes, he was saying, I'm changing your name to the father of many nations by faith. This is a faith action right here. And you're gonna, you better believe that this is going to come true. That's the God that we serve. He, makes, he brings life to the dead, calls things into existence that do not exist. But every time... Abraham said his name. He was speaking by faith. This is who I am, even if I don't see it yet. What's amazing is that in this culture, even his neighbors would have known that he has gone into covenant with someone because of the name change. Even the people that live near him, they would have known because they knew him as Abram for a long time. Abraham, what's this guy doing? Here's the lesson for us. Do not name yourself anything less than God does. Do not name yourself anything less than God does. The world will try to label you something. Not good enough. Your spiritual enemy will try to label you something. You are not worthy. Maybe even your parents, your boss, maybe even your spouse will try to label you something. One of the worst ones is this. You may even try to label yourself. Do not name yourself anything less than God does. Here's why. You don't have legal rights to those labels that you have put on yourself, to those labels that the enemy or the names that the enemy or the world has put on you. So when I walk around and I wake up some morning and the, and the devil tells me, you ain't good enough. Can I tell you that's what it was for me? Because I grew up with two brothers that were amazing. My middle brother was a freak athlete. My, my oldest brother was smart and creative. And I was always trying to keep up. 
And I was striving. I'm trying to be good enough. I want to match up to them. And my, my childish ways, it's foolishness. They're, they're, they're older than me. I'm not going to get there. But I'm striving. I'm not good enough. But the enemy will come early on in your life. This is why we teach our kids about Jesus. We don't just babysit over there. We teach about Jesus because the enemy will come at six, seven, three, four, five years old and say, you're not good enough. But if I walk around and say, I just don't feel good enough today, it's just as ridiculous as me walking around saying, I feel like Steve today. doesn't make sense. I don't have legal rights to that name, not good enough. God never said that about me. I'm in covenant with him, and we have exchanged names. So the only thing in identity that I can look at that shows me who I really am, that shows me, doesn't matter how I feel today, this is truth. My feelings are not truth. My feelings can come and go. They're God-given, but they will come and go. But this truth is the rock that I stand on every single day. I have to look in here and say, what does God say? I feel this way, but I guarantee if I start feeling these things, I'm not good enough. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too ugly. I'm weird. I'm alone. I'm unwanted. I'm unworthy. uh, I'm barren. Whatever it is, if I let these things come on me, it's foolishness because God never said, and if I see those, come at me. What's great is I guarantee you can find a verse in here that is a promise from God that says the opposite of whatever you think you believe that day. I feel not good enough. Well, let's just look at it. John 15, 15. I can, Jesus says, I can no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confine his slaves. Now you are my friends. I may feel alone. I may feel like I got no friends. I may feel like I'm weird and I'm an outcast. Doesn't matter. Jesus said, you're my friend. And if I ask him for friends, he will open doors for friendship. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I got no one. You got everyone through Jesus. This is the verse that changed my life, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What does that mean? It means that this, a masterpiece is an artist's best piece of work. God's best piece of work is you. His best. Not just, man, I wish I could be like them. Stop. That's why Jesus rebuked Peter when Peter was talking about, well, what about these guys? How are their life going to end whenever Jesus was raised from the dead? He says, look, what does it matter? What does it matter if they live forever and you die tomorrow? He says, you, follow me. That's the perspective we must have. Doesn't matter how I feel. Stop looking at everyone else. I wish I could be like them. Stop. You're God's masterpiece. And every gift and talent in you was placed there for a reason so you can do the good things he planned for you long ago. It is important what I say over myself. If I walk around and say, I don't feel good enough today, I don't feel worthy today. I'm just addicted. I'm sick. I'm allergic. God never called you that. And we're not in here in living in denial. But sometimes I got to speak by faith until the spiritual realm, which is more true, outweighs the physical. And it may be a battle. But if I'm never speaking it, I'll never reap it. That's what God's word says. If we believe it, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
God's word (laughs) is called the book of life for a reason. Speak life. What did the enemy say about you? Throw that in the trash. Speak life. What label have you put on yourself this week? Not good enough. Not worthy. Ugly. Always going to be alone. Whatever that negative self-talk is, put that in the trash. You're in covenant with the holy God. What did he say? I am the almighty God. I call you this. Beautifully made. Wonderfully made. Mm. Thank you, God. Through our covenant, no matter your sin, God wants to give you, exchange with you, the robe of righteousness, the finest robe in heaven, which is the robe of Jesus. He gives you his weapons to win every battle if you will walk in covenant. What is this, this uncircumcised field thing? What, what, what attack comes at you this week? Remember, that attack, that fiery dart in the spiritual realm is not in covenant with God. You are. Attack it with the boldness of David this week. And guess what? He calls you wonderfully made because he made you his masterpiece. You are his best piece of work through covenant relationship with him. We can leave today. We can walk in confidence in this life this week. We're in covenant with the almighty God. And he's got big, big things for us. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to break down what is this, this other parts of this that relate to us in this covenant. But here's what I want to do today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I talked about a lot today, but as we're, as we're wrapping up, you may be in here in that last part, the exchanging of names is the most important one that I need you to see today. Because some of you walked in here today and you've been believing a lie from the enemy. You've allowed him to name you and to label you something and you are not that according to God's word. So here's what I need you to do with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As I'm talking, you already know what that is. What is that for you? What is that for you? As the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do today, even just spiritually and mentally right now. But today, I want you to physically do this. When you go home, when you get in some quiet time with God, would you get a piece of paper out? And would you write that label, that name, that's a lie from the enemy, that says you're not good, that you're not worthy, that you're too ugly, that you're alone, whatever it is, that you're sick, would you take that Would you write that down? And then would you tear it up and throw it in the trash? I need you to do it physically today. By faith, throw that thing away. That is not you. God exchanged his name with you. Now you are holy, righteous, wonderfully made. His beautiful masterpiece amazing, amazing God that we serve. Here's what I want you to do. Whatever that thing was that you threw away, I need you to find a verse. I guarantee it's in there. Just Google. (laughs) Find a verse that is the opposite of what that was. Write it down and speak it over yourself every single day. Speak it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If I will speak it, you will see it in your life. God's word promises it. I'm not living in denial, but I am living not by sight. I'm walking by faith. Walking by faith. Sometimes that means I got to speak by faith before I see the answer come to pass.
Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.